uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not Misohonia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my co-hosts, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated, Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic, Bobby Rosati, diddle in the knobs, as he's wont to do. We have a nice show for you today. Brandon Bean, Bill's general manager, is going to join us. We're going to talk about the 5 and one Bills. And what's coming up, perhaps, at the trade deadline? Trade deadline is a week from today? Yesterday. Week from yesterday. So uh, there was some activity yesterday, some intrigue. Mohamed Sanu gets dealt from the Falcons to the Patriots. I'm guessing that that's a trade that other teams probably weren't able to get on because of the connections between the Falcons and the Patriots I think that people may say, hey, how come the Bill, why didn't the Bills make a play for Sanu? With Thomas Dimitrov being Bill Belichick's former assistant, Thomas Dimitrov, the Falcons general manager, I'm guessing that that's, that could have been one of those deals that the Bills had no idea was even going down, let alone have a chance to get in on. Well, the Patriots were in on that deal, apparently, going all the way back to before the draft. Yeah. So, And it's a second-round pick. That's a high price. Yeah, I'm not sure you're outbidding the Patriots on that. And, I mean, you'd have to offer up your second-round pick, which most people would assume would be a better pick. But he, I think you're right that they're probably in on that more so than other teams, and they probably value a guy like Mohamed Sanu for their system more than maybe other teams would. What I want to get into with uh, Brandon Bean also is that he is a has a reputation in his young general managerial career of being a wheeler dealer, and he even makes comments of it, makes light of it. He knows he is. I want to talk to him about the philosophy of what it must feel like to make a trade in the NFL, and, and sure, it's different if you're getting a fifth-round pick in 2021 or something like that. I'm sure it doesn't feel the same as when you're going player for player. But if you've been in fantasy football, trades can be fun. And this has to be fantasy football times infinity. When you're dealing with welcoming in a new guy, a guy you're excited about, somebody that you think you can unlock that hasn't been unlocked before, or you're giving up an asset that just makes your team better, maybe you're not unlocking anything. You just know that the value of this player you're getting is going to improve your team at a need. Um yeah, so I want to I want to get into it with that him about that. I, like, what happened? Do you, how, does his blood pressure go up? Does he get excited? Does he? Is it just, or is I doubt it's just a business transaction. No, I feel like there has to be some nerves involved too, right? Because you have to be confident that you're right, and there's probably some where you're really confident that it's the right move and you're you're doing the right thing, and there's probably others where. And I wonder, too, a few years ago, they trade for Kelvin Benjamin, give up a third-round pick. Does that make you a little bit more shy around the deadline the next time around because it didn't work out? I mean, you know, there's a lot that goes into it and, and the visibility of it, you know, and the, the pressure that comes with being the guy to make that final call. 
sometimes it, it doesn't, you know, the results of a trade don't materialize until way down the line. And it took about a year before we realized, yeah, I probably shouldn't have given up, you know, a third round pick for Calvin Benjamin. But, you know, there's, there's a certain uh, level of that's when you perform, right, as a general manager to how's the team going to respond? Are guys going to like this guy that we know, but we don't necessarily know super well? So a lot of risk, a lot of, uh, I imagine, a lot of emotion going into those types of moves. We're also going to have on today's show an interesting guest that I think could provide some fascinating insight on a bunch of different angles uh, that are going on in the news today, sports and not. Uh, Susan Milligan, she is a Western New Yorker. She graduated from Kenmore East. She's from the town of Tonawanda, and she is the senior politics writer at U.S. News and World Report. She's a diehard Bills fan. She's a diehard Washington Nationals fan. And with the Nationals in the World Series, up now one nothing on the Houston Astros, we're going to talk to Susan about how the Nats if at all, are unifying D.C. There are Republicans and Democrats who've, at least can they have something that they can agree on here as they root for the Nationals in the World Series? Maybe it can unify the whole country because I don't think the Astros have a lot of fans (laughs) right now with everything that's going on in their clubhouse. So maybe we can all get behind the Nationals and, and pull for America's team. I'll tell you this, and uh, I go into the World Series really not having a rooting interest aside from I want it to be a close series because I enjoy the drama, and I want it to go seven games if at all possible. But then with what's gone on with the Houston Astros and their assistant general manager, Brandon Taubman, and heckling female reporters in the Astros locker room regarding Roberto Osuna, who's been alleged of domestic violence and pretty and heckling these reporters allegedly because they have been uh, not vocal. I, I don't think that there've been opinion columns too much. It's just been, uh, they've been tweeting out domestic in reporting that Osuna had joined the Astros tweeting out domestic violence, helplines, things like that, because they're trying to draw some awareness to the issue. One of the reporters had on a bracelet, I believe. Yeah, domestic. Purple yeah. bracelet for domestic violence awareness. And he's yelling at these reporters, I effing love Roberto Asuna. So glad Asuna. we got him. So glad we got Asuna. For I no reason. Love him. No, there was no, uh, allegedly, there was no real conversation being had. These women were minding their own business, and he was very much directing it at them. And I could even stop at, okay, so this guy is, we've said that, I'm trying to think of a word I can say that I want to say regarding uh, Brandon Taubman. We've said dildo on the air, so I'll call him a dildo. This dildo. Douche. We can say douche. We can say douche. Mm Mm-hmm. There's some other words. During the break, I'll throw some words at you that I was on the the fence as to whether or not I could say them. Have Bobby do the thing where he bleeps it out no matter what you say. (laughs) (laughs) If I could. So that's one thing. And I could say, all right, well, this guy's just a dildo. And I could kind of, but the Astros made it worse. The Astros, as an organization, decided to lie about this instance, this incident, and called these women liars with what they 
put out there as easily disprovable information regarding, no, no, he was helping out somebody who, you know, he was responding uh, during a player interview. Well, then it's found, no, there were no players being interviewed at this time. There weren't even players in, in in the presence of any of this happening. And now the team is trying to backtrack and apologize and Although, well, not really apologizing. They've actually done a very poor job of apologizing. They've just said, well, we were wrong on this. And and then he came out and kind of apologized. Yeah, he gave that, that half uh, apology. I, I love my wife and apology. kids. Yes, I'm a all husband. Those, I'm a father. I'm a progressive thinker. Yeah. I donate to charity. <laughs> I'm sorry if you were offended. <laughs> I couldn't possibly be an a-hole. I have a wife and kids. <laughs> Also, you, you call it a half apology. I think he wrote half of the apology, and somebody else wrote the other half. <laughs> like, that's true. So, And then Major League Baseball didn't say uh, much more. I mean, they came out with a statement, but it didn't really apologize or say uh, beyond that they were going to investigate. No remedies or any punishments. So. so, yeah, I'm rooting against the Astros because of what they did to try to cover up what this guy did and in the process totally impugn these reporters and Sports Illustrated and the Houston Chronicle as being fabricators. I will say this. The Astros manager, A.J. Hinch, gave the best statement out of probably anybody about the whole thing. He, you know, kind of came down on those guys, said he was very disappointed and it was uncalled for and no one should come and ever feel like when you come into our clubhouse that you're going to be uncomfortable or disrespected. I think we all need to be better across the board in the industry. This is a guy who is not his necessarily his job to clean up messes, and he did a better job of it on the spot than public relations professionals did. And so, you know, that's the weird thing where you say, oh, you know, now I'm rooting for the Nationals. And then I think to myself, well, this guy seems to get it like maybe the players get it and like you said maybe this is just a a rogue dildo in the uh, <laughs> in the clubhouse <laughs> the only problem with that is this happened earlier in the year too with uh justin verlander remember when he had the detroit free press yeah this is a pr problem pr houston problem. for exactly. sure the the pr staff there has not exactly um and i don't I don't they're nearly, known as being the yeah. most helpful. And to recap that, Justin Verlander refused to re- to speak to a group of reporters after a game. We had him banned. Because a member of the Detroit Free Press who had covered Verlander in Detroit mm-hmm. uh, was present, and so he said he wasn't going to talk at all. It really uh, singled out this one reporter. He shouldn't have done that. That isn't a great sin to me, though. What Brandon Taubman did. Here's the thing. I <laughs> Brandon Taubman. Maybe this is how he gets away with it. I can't remember Brandon Taubman's name, but I remember the face. He's got the type of face of a guy who deserves to be fired. <laughs> he just looks like a guy uh, who's really enjoying getting in somebody's face and saying, Yeah, he does. <laughs> I, I effing love Asuna. Now, he may be out of a job, but who knows? Maybe this guy's brilliant. Maybe the Astros are like, geez, we're going to have to get rid of this guy. He's going to end up, he's going to he's gonna resurface with another team. If the Astros get rid of him, it's not like he's out of Major League Baseball. So it's interesting to see what the Astros, the Astros might have to sacrifice Brandon Taubman 
to make up for what the PR staff did. Right, because if the if PR they staff, apologized. yeah, if the PR staff had handled it the right way to begin with, Brandon Taubman might be able to survive this a little bit more easily. But now they, uh, a head needs to roll, and uh, and the PR director's head isn't going to be enough because nobody knows who that is. But everybody knows Brandon Taubman started this mess, and he said the ugly thing, and uh, so yeah, Brandon Taubman could have his PR staff to thank for getting axed, and he could have himself and the PR staff to thank if they don't win the World Series in some part, right? They always want to talk about distractions and the media letting this stuff in and and messing with us and trying to divide us. It's like, well, you stepped in it here, big guy. Like yeah. That one's on you. So I don't know if that'll be the reason. I don't even know if they'll lose. Maybe they won't, but um, it, it's not helping them. You know, The Astros have game. some guys that are easy to root for too. Jose Altuve is a great player. George Alex, Springer. Alex Bregman. Alex Bregman. Yeah, I mean, everybody's chanting MVP when he comes up to the plate. Had to fit him in, didn't you, Jonah? Jew or not a Jew? Bregman? I'm going to say Jew. Yes. Okay. I'm allowed to answer yes. that question because you started it. I can't ask that question. You're allowed well, he's to like the question. new Sandy Koufax. He's known as the modern Jewish baseball star. Okay. Sandy Koufax was Jewish, right? Yes, he was. I'll make sure I was getting that right. That's why he he refused to pitch on Yom Kippur. Clayton Kershaw, another Dodgers lefty, should have refused to pitch on Yom Kippur, although he wasn't Jewish. But had he refused to pitch on Yom Kippur, the Dodgers are probably in the World Series. Does that show up in the injury report in parentheses? Yom Kippur? Out, yeah. Out Yom Kippur? Out, parentheses, atonement. Jewish. <laughs> it should, if it doesn't. So I'm glad to see the Astros getting a zero to one hole. At, le- at the very least, let's make them sweat it out. I, I don't want to see Brandon Taubman happy at the end of this World Series, but I think he could w- get his ring and, and lose his job. Is that does that work out? Yeah. Or do we need to see them lose it and have him have him not get a ring and get fired? Yeah, I think that works best. Yeah, right? I like that. The other thing too is I, I would have a tr- I would have a problem if Bryce Harper were still playing for the Washington Nationals. That's not to say that Bryce Harper, just the fact that I don't like him or his vibe, would equate to a guy that says these ugly things directly in a, into a woman's face. Uh, these uh, these offensive things. I think I would still have to turn uh, against the Astros, regardless. But the Nationals are easy to embrace. Trey Turner, Sean Doolittle. I mean, there's a there's a lot of I mean I, I can name a Max bunch of guys. Max Scherzer, a good Mizzou man. There are a lot of cool dudes on the on the Nationals team, so I can fully embrace the Nationals. They're my team, thanks to Brandon Taubman. Yeah, I'm with you. Do you They're feel like America's you need team. to pick a horse in order to watch the World Series here? No, not at all. I in fact, I think I would have just gone into the this World Series. I don't have a team that I pull for. I think I might have actually leaned towards the Astros based on player for player, just the guys that I like to watch play. Trey Turner's one of my favorite players in the game. I love the way uh, he goes about his business. And uh, you know, the Nationals, I still I don't know. I I still think of them as the team that 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 left Montreal. And I think Montreal as is a is a city that deserves its team. 
it's been a long time ago. It's not like any players on the on the diamond or were to blame for that, but I guess there are no players on the diamond that are to blame for what the Astros PR staff or Brandon Taubman did either, but so maybe I'm being a hypocrite. But they're in the building. They're still they're part actively of the a part of it. Yeah. yeah, that's true. They would be getting rings. That's well, yeah, you're right. I hadn't even thought of that. Brandon Talbot absolutely gets a ring, and especially uh, well, the Astros won one what four years ago? How many years was it? Three, three yeah, years ago. All right, so recent. especially when you win your first one, everybody in the organization gets a ring. But I'm guessing even on your second one, yeah, the the, the executive, the guy who made the decision to put out that statement is high enough in the ladder of of the corporate Astros ladder that he absolutely would get a ring. The guy who decided it was a good idea to call these women liars with easily disprovable information in a press release, that guy gets a ring. Maybe the lowest level guys don't get a ring on your second one, but... Or maybe they do. Hey, didn't Drake get a ring the other night? Did he? I I wasn't watching. Jonah, did Drake get a ring from the Raptors? Drake has a position with the team. He's their global ambassador or something like that. So I didn't know I mean, it's some convoluted way he's part of the organization right, well then he got a ring if drake gets a ring then the guy who but you almost don't even blame I, I mean i guess we don't know how the decision was made to put out that statement but that ultimately falls on the top guy typically right you know a, a statement like that is not some entry-level person saying hey what if we just call them liars and the guy's like yeah great idea you know what would break my heart is if I learned that Nolan Ryan had anything to do with it. That's the problem. When you start to get wiser and you start to learn more about sports and some of these heroes, you're like, Everything. Man, why was this guy my hero? You know? <laughs> Nolan Ryan, one of my all time favorites. I doubt he had anything to do with it. And if he don't even look it up. Let's just pre- <laughs> let's just pretend he didn't. Let's just keep him pure. Ignorantly bliss. He is probably not a certainly not involved he's an advisor to the owner of the houston astros now if the owner went to him and said nolan what do you think we ought to do here (laughs) and nolan's like well here's the statement i'd put out i doubt it but uh anyways i I like seeing uh, nolan ryan behind the plate at the uh, astros home games but i don't want him to get a ring this time because maybe he should have advised the owner not to hire brandon taubman how could he have known well I'm guessing this guy's slipped up in the past. He gets a. He seems like the type of guy who might uh, be someone you need to watch out for uh, at t- at uh, owners' meetings. You know, at any kind of function. L- yeah, any kind of league meeting that uh, where people get together and drink drink a little bit. Yeah, he's a little. He's a firecracker. He that Brandon little, Taubman. I mean, just look at him. <laughs> it's hard to say just based on looks. It's not that hard, though. No, he's proud of himself. Yeah. He's very proud of himself. He likes him some Brandon Taubman. All right. When we come back, we're going to have Susan Milligan from U.S. News and World Report. Susan Milligan is a Kenmore East grad. She covers Capitol Hill, and she is plugged in on these Washington Nationals and her beloved Buffalo Bills. And we had a little rhubarb at uh, Capitol Hill today. In the basement, we had some Republican congressmen storm a closed session. (laughs) Getting messy. 
Well, maybe that's the fight we should be. Maybe that's a, a match that we should have a scorecard for. <laughs> have a series. What a sport. What a sport politics is. Probably more a sport than people than people realize. Yeah. We'll get into that with Susan Milligan after this on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. To the Tim Graham Show. Place is not open till Tuesday. Am I not saying it right? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Cow in the middle of Farmer hits him on the head and grinds him up, and that's how we get hamburgers. Broadcasting live. Tim Graham Show. Give me some free whiteout, though. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operation need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. A quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. Great spirits. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein & Associates. Matthew Fairburn, also The Athletic, Bobby Rosati, producing this show. He has on the phone for us our next guest, who's joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline, U.S. News & World Report senior politics writer Susan Milligan. Susan, good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. It's like I'm talking to Buffalo. It feels terrific. You are talking to Buffalo. This is a Buffalo <laughs> radio station. Nobody else in their right mind would want to listen to this show. <laughs> Susan Milligan co-authored Last Lion, The Rise and Fall of Ted Kennedy. She's accomplished writing about Capitol Hill. Things are going on at Capitol Hill today. If you haven't been following the news, Susan is jumping through hoops, and she still makes time to join the trim, the the I can't even say my own name. The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. <laughs> Kenmore East, well, town of Tonawanda. Uh, what's that? <laughs> what would you rather do? <laughs> well, talk that's... about impeachment or talk about football and, and baseball? We were talking about it during the last uh, segment, and politics and sports have so much more in common that I think people wouldn't yes. realize. And yes. I think some of it is, and this goes back to uh, when I went to the Capitol. 
to cover Michael Caputo, uh, who had his uh, testimony in front of uh, uh, the, uh, well, shoot, now I'm drawing a blank. Who with the name of that committee? I think it's Government Reform and Oversight. Yeah, the Oversight Committee. Yeah, Oversight and Reform, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I was actually in that basement where the congressman, the Republican congressman come in and storm the castle today and ah, to try yeah. to get into the closed-door meetings that are supposed to be confidential, bringing in their cell phones and all kinds of other uh, verboten equipment that people aren't supposed to have down there for the sake of a show. And, you know, it got me to thinking about voters uh, or people who are partisan, whether you're uh, left-wing, right-wing, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, however you describe your political beliefs, as those fans that are in the stadium mm-hmm. on Sundays, that if they understood how much less the players themselves care about what you're doing <laughs> or what, what's going on than they do. You know, yeah. you see the players after a game exchanging jerseys. They might kneel down in a, in a prayer circle together. As they walk Mm -hmm. up the tunnel at New Era Field, they're hugging each other. Uh, And I got that sense when I was there in D.C., seeing uh, in a green room Adam Schiff with Michael Caputo. I was actually Mm -hmm. sitting within five feet of both of them in the green room, and they're just joking like two regular dudes because they know a lot of the same people. They're in the same circles. And when the cameras are on, there's a fight. But when the cameras are off, they're just people. That's true. I mean, unfortunately... Some of that has really, a lot of that has deteriorated in the past five years, in the past ten years, whatever. But but there definitely are. I mean, it, it's um, you know, people people have known each other for a long time, and there's a certain, at least there used to be a certain kind of mutual commitment to public service and to country and all that. Some of that we're we're starting to see deteriorate. No question about it. But. I mean, look, even between reporters and members, I mean, I know everybody thinks that we're all at war, where some people think we're the enemy, but, you know, I think of Louise Slaughter, who we just lost, who I'd known for decades, you know, and was so kind to me when my mom was dying and when my mom passed away, which actually happened right around the time that she lost her husband. And, you know, she would just come up to me and say, if I wanted to go sit down on the rules committee, if I was having a hard day and all that, she knew how things were going, I could. That happens a lot more often than people think. And it's got nothing to do with politics or the fact that sometimes you have to ask tough questions if you're a reporter. I have seen, unfortunately, and in today's, you know, display was a classic example. I don't even want to get into the irony of people who, you know, were, were introducing legislation about, you know, Hillary Clinton and her server and her cell phone. And it's like, you're walking into a secure facility, secure room with your cell phone and tweeting from the room. I mean, it's just kind of stunning. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. There's, there's more, there's more interaction and, and um, sort of personal relationships than a lot of people know. In, just in uh, at New Era Field over the weekend, there was an incident in which a uh, a fan was heckling uh, the Dolphins to the point that there was uh, an interaction. There was uh, an alleged uh, spitting incident from uh, Miami Dolphins defensive back Bobby McCain, and uh, so the Dolphins are looking into that. The NFL is looking into that, and the amount of zealotry uh, that you see, uh, yeah, I think that there are some people uh, who follow politics through the lens of a television and say, well, when these guys get together, it's a, it's a wonder that they don't punch each other right in the mouth. But And same thing yeah. with what's going on with uh, you know, certain, uh, the, the venom that's put towards the media. But yeah. it, it, there is a, sh- and it's unfortunate, and it's toxic, it's turned toxic, but it stems from, I think, 
a sort of showmanship uh, that mm-hmm. has now just turned ugly. But at one point, it was just that. It was showmanship. Well, look, the showmanship, that's a really good example because part of the complaint today when they're trying to, they say they want to make these hearings public, and they're really just collecting depositions. These are not impeachment hearings. Impeachment hearings, of course, will be public. But it's because they really don't want to go there to collect information. Actually, you know, they can go in there. People in three committees can go in there. They want to turn it into, you know, kind of theater where they can tear apart the witness and on the, in front of the cameras and, you know, make a big show for their constituents. And, you know, both parties have done this. I'm not saying it's one party or the other. But in this case, it's the Republicans who are complaining that they couldn't have these open. So that's unfortunate. You're, you're right about that. It, it becomes that. Um, but it's interesting because I was, when you bring up about the fans, I was watching after the after the the Yankees lost to the Astros, and I was watching some stuff that people put up on Twitter, screaming at that poor pitcher. You know, you blew. We they tied the game and you blew it. And I'm thinking, what? Excuse me. Can you throw? Can you pitch a, a ball in Major League Baseball? I don't think you can. Secondly, do you think the guy didn't want to win? I mean, do you think he doesn't think he let his team down? Of course he does. And what is the point of that? And what, what were they throwing bottles to? I think they had an incident with the Astros, too, where some of the Yankees fans are throwing things at them. That's unfortunate. And I think that that has gotten worse recently. And, and it's tied into the political uh, discord as well. There was a report that just came out um, Monday morning by a group called PRRI. And they're really good. They do some very, very in-depth and, and thorough reporting on sort of the culture wars and just you know, how Americans think. And you see a division that's just so stark now that it isn't even about people disagreeing with each other. They actually just hate each other. So, for example, something like 80% or more than 80% of Republicans think that the Democratic Party has been taken over by socialists. Meanwhile, more than 80% of the Democrats think that that the Republican Party has been taken over by racists. And you just on every sort of metric, whether it's whether you think white men are being victimized or whether you think that the country's gotten too soft and feminine, that was one of the issues. There's this incredible divide, and it's a, it's sort of like people bought the T-shirt. It's not even like they can sit down and say, all right, well, how do you feel about, you know, the estate tax? Or how do you feel about, you know, climate change and doing, you know, emission standards and so forth? It's just like, this is the team I'm on. This is a T-shirt I have, and I just hate the other side. And I think sometimes that unfortunately comes through in sports, which you would think would be a release in a way that we could all kind of have some sort of good-natured rivalries. But that you know, you love watching a sport. I mean, we, you know, I, I, I don't like booing players or teams either. I, I think that's really in bad form. Yeah, they're down there, and and. Um, of course, they're disappointed if they, you know, if they if they if they miss a a, a ball or, or or something like that. So, um, yeah, that's unfortunate. Although in Washington, what what I like about Washington is there's a certain a lot of people think this is just a city of transients and nobody's really a fan of the local teams here, and that's not true at all. And we've really seen this with, with the Nats, which is great. But there's always a Washington component to it. So, like, when Anthony Rendon would come down to bat during the season, people would yell, lock him up, lock him up, you know, to, to give, give him a contract so he doesn't leave us. <laughs> um, but it's really great. And um, the, the city has really rallied around this team. And there were some musicians from the National Symphony Orchestra who put on these little shark outfits and, and played with their, you know, in this very sort of, you know, chamber music kind of way, played Baby Shark in the lobby of the of the 
Kennedy Center. Um, the organist at the National Cathedral did the same thing. This, of course, is because uh, Gerardo Parra, who's yeah, you know one of the players for the Nationals, was kind of in a slump, and he decided he needed a new walk-up song, so he brought his cell phone, and the algorithm kept bringing up Baby Shark because he's got three kids, and you know they keep wanting to listen to it. And he kept trying to find another song, and it kept coming up, and he thought, I don't know, maybe it's a sign. So he started using Baby Shark, and he kind of took off, and now it's become an anthem for the team. And um, and it's it's kind of great, actually. And tonight, in fact, I'm going there at National Stadium. Of course, they're playing in Houston, but they're having a watch party there, and you can get a you have to get a ticket, but it's free, and you go in and you can sit in the you know in the stadium and watch the game on the jumbotron with other Nats fans, and there are concessions, and it's kind of nice. We're talking to Susan Milligan, senior politics writer for U.S. News and World Report and a native Western New Yorker, Kenmore East graduate, uh, talking about sports and politics and the intersection thereof. Um, I, I'm hesitant to do this because I don't want to get too deep into this, but uh, before we talk about your bills and your sabers and whether or not uh, and, and how how refreshing it is that you don't want to impeach either of their head coaches for a change. No. <laughs> All right. So this it, just what we were talking about now uh, reminded me of a conversation I had uh, with Bill James in uh, November 9th, uh, November of 2016. I happened to be over in Portugal at a at a conference, and he was there, and. I decided it would be a good opportunity for me just to do a Q&A with him. It was the day after, uh, or the morning after, uh, Donald Trump had been elected. And the reason I want to talk to Bill James, he's the father of sabermetrics and the analytic movement, Moneyball, and everything else, is how did the polls get it so wrong on Donald Trump? So, And who better to ask than, than Bill James, I thought. And his, this is what he said. Uh, I, and just because it's coming from a baseball guy, this adds a layer of sports to it. But anyway, let's listen to what he had to say here, Susan. I'm going to read it to you. I said, uh, how do you process what happened Tuesday night? He says, well, I'm worried, but in a sense, less worried. I certainly didn't vote for Trump and I didn't vote for him because he's unworthy to be president. But I have been concerned for 10 years and I've been telling people we're drifting toward a civil war. We are getting further and further apart and angrier and angrier. People, if you look at history, three years before there's a civil war, have no idea they're drifting toward a civil war. Then there's a bridge too far, and you can't go back. Look at Sarajevo. Four years before the war, no one ever, uh, no one had an idea it was coming. Look at Rome in 64 B.C. People were saying terrible things about each other, and then the same people two years later were murdered by their political opponents. You think, God damn, they had no idea this was coming, did they? Well, they thought they were living in a safe, stable democracy. I still, I still worry we could be drifting toward a civil war because we are so divided. This was three years ago, yeah. and it's one of those deals where you think Bill James is a pretty smart guy, and it's if he's feeling this three years ago, and it's gotten worse. So again, people are tearing each other apart. You see it, and you're not allowed to be. Uh, you have to choose a side. I yeah. think people have just gotten into a whether it's a team or a religion or a political realm. You have to choose a side, and you can't be, uh, and you can't even reason with the other side. Yeah, and I have a couple answers to that. One is the polls actually were not wrong. The polls had Hillary ahead by about three percentage points nationwide, or four, and that's what she got nationwide. The polling in in Michigan and and. Pennsylvania had been tightening, and the polls in Wisconsin are just sort of notoriously bad. It's just what it was is that we were all kind of thinking, 
oh, there's no way that the country is going to elect this, you know, this basically game show host, you know, to do. I mean, we, we just had it in our heads, you know, where there were so many things that he said and did that we have killed any other candidate. And so it just, you know, there's a margin of error in polls either, and people forget about that, and that's how it went. So I think the pollsters have been beaten up a little bit over that. I do think that we in the media just sort of really just didn't see it coming. We having these huge rallies, and we sort of just weren't really, they weren't the kind of people who normally come out to vote. So I think we thought they weren't, and then they did. Um, but in terms of the Civil War, and I'm so glad you brought that up, because before, it, during the 90s, I was posted in Eastern Europe, and I was in the Balkans, and I was in the former Yugoslavia. And I'll talk to people down there, and they'd say, well, this could happen to you. And I have to say I was a little smug, and I said, oh, no, we have this, you know, constitutional democracy, we have checks and balances. You know, we have our disagreements, but no, it would never come to this. But I don't know. I mean, what happened there is that Milosevic plays people against each other according to religious and ethnic and racial lines, and that's exactly what's happening here. And part of the reason that this is happening is that we've had a lot of demographic changes in our country, and I personally think that's a good thing. I think immigrants bring, you know, tremendous innovation and energy to this country, and it's part of our strength. It's also part of the challenges that we have. I mean, the reality is if you're, a, if you're a white man and you're 60s or older, when you're a kid, guys who look like you run the country and your country around the world, and neither one of those things is true anymore, and it's not going back. And it's, that's a big adjustment for a lot of people, and this is sort of like we're seeing a sort of last-death pushback against it. And what we all thought was in 2016, the whole demographics of destiny crowd thought, well, that's it. You know, there's, there's no, you're at a point now where you almost can't get a Republican elected president unless they drastically start a more inclusive policy, especially welcoming Latinos into the party and appealing to their issues. But the thing is, is that the voting electorate is about 10 years behind the, elect, uh, the country at, at large, you know, in terms of where the demographics are. So you look at a state, for example, like Texas, which is not going to happen next year, but by 2024, that state could be in play, not just because of Latinos, but because of the organization in the state, the demographics are changing in the state. But there's a, it's a very threatening thing. If you grew up with an idea of America, it's very different from where it is now, and frankly, where it's headed, and that's where the chance is coming from. And yeah, I do think it could become violent. It certainly was, it was violent in Charlottesville. I mean, it, it does make me nervous. Susan, I think we might be losing you a little bit. The quality is getting up, but uh, I don't oh, know I'm if sorry. you've drifted too far into the Capitol basement. Uh, are you no, getting? No, no. Okay, you're actually no. clearer now. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. We had we had you on the show two and a half years ago, and we talked about uh, the the uh, the thought exercise was what if Donald Trump bought the bills uh, yeah. because he has said that if he had uh, bought the bills he wouldn't have run for office. So what are your thoughts on now on uh, had Trump bought the bills? Do you would you rather him not be the bills owner or would you rather him not be the president? Well, um, that's an interesting question. Of course, you know, I, I feel like the bills will always be with me no matter what, and I'm not sure, you know, when it comes to politics. But, um, I mean, I think that we would not be in this... I mean, I don't know what would be happening with the bills, but I don't think we would be in a situation where we have to actually worry about whether our allies are going to be with us if we face some kind of international crisis. And um, this is something that's nonpartisan on the Hill, the withdrawal from northern Syria, and just the message that that sends to to the rest of the world about whether we can be counted on. That is, 
one of the most dramatic things that's happened. And I think he, he does it. He's, you know, I knew him a little bit when I wrote for the New York Daily News back in the 80s when he was just this sort of gadfly and business person and then, you know, imagined himself to be this sort of playboy. And um, I just think he's not used to being questioned in any way. I think he thinks that he's sort of the CEO of the of of America and that every government worker from, you know, not just your cabinet, but people who push papers in the Social Security Administration somehow work for him, that he's the boss of everybody. And I think he thinks Congress is his middle managers. And, you know, he he doesn't, you know, and that the judiciary branch are his accountants, and they're not. And I think he has a really hard time with that. And when he gets pushed back, he gets, he, he just wants to do something dramatic to sort of prove how much power he has. And I'm not sure he's thinking it through, to say the least. All right, let's uh, wrap up with a pure sports question then. Uh, oh, yeah. What, tell me about your Bills and Sabres. How, uh, I know you're watching from afar, but so they haven't, uh, <laughs> they've lost a combined one game. I know, I know. I was nervous, though, about, you know, last week, you know, with the Dolphins, I'm like, you know, Tim, you and I could beat the Dolphins, right? But I was like, "What is going well, on here?" And of course, I listen to WGR online. I can get the, I can get the, I can get the live radio online, which is great. So I can listen to the game. I think um, offensively and defensively, yes, we could. I think we'd have problem in the kicking game, though. I don't know why. Yeah. I just don't think if it came down to a field, I think we're in trouble. <laughs> but if we could just manhandle them, yeah, in the trenches, no, no sweat. But, you know, the good thing about getting a scare like that is that, um, and this is something that I found with baseball. I've only really been following baseball for about five years. And you'll appreciate this. My, my boyfriend is a huge baseball fan because he's from Puerto Rico. And oddly enough, he did not grow up making an ice rink in his backyard. So he never really got into hockey uh, or football. So I said, okay. I'll pay attention to, you know, baseball if you pay attention to football. And he thought he was getting off easy, like <laughs> 16 games. That's nothing. Little did he know. Um, but um, one thing that I've figured out about baseball is there's a similarity with hockey, that if, if you've never had a must-win game during the year, you're not as, you know, you, you're not as sharp in the playoffs. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Nats, you know, who just, you know, were 19 and 31 in May and then, you know, got the wild card and went on from there are where they are. And I think the Bills, I think it's good to have some scares in the middle of the game. I mean, you can't lose games like you can in baseball and have a stretch or a slump. But I think that's actually going to make them sharper as the season go on, goes on. So that's my, that's my positive spin on a little bit of a scare last week. <laughs> Well, Susan Milligan, I can't thank you enough for joining me. I know it's a super busy day today, and uh, and then you thought you were calling in for a reprieve, and I made you talk politics anyway. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I love talking to you. I love. It feels like I'm back in Buffalo, and it's always nice to speak with you. Well, great to have you, and let's not uh, wait two and a half years until the next time, and maybe the next time in D.C. I'll see you. Okay, great. Thanks. All right, that's Susan Milligan. On the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline, the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline uh, is one of our new sponsors, and uh, much thanks to them for joining us. Come be a part of the team. How about if I get this correctly? New sponsor. There should be like a uh, discount for when you first join as a sponsor of the Tim Graham Show because I'm going to butcher it until I until I get it down to a science. <laughs> it's part of the charm. Is it? <laughs> 
Well, we love NCCC. They get to be talked about a little bit longer. People know these That's aren't tapes. It's I maybe think good it's a value. When you mess it up, because no people script. are like, what is he fumbling through? And it's not going in one ear out the other. That was Susan Milligan on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come up, we're going to have Brandon Bean, general manager of the Buffalo Bills, on to talk about the trade deadline, about being 5-1, and one, and much, much more. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Bisaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. To the Tim Graham Show. Well, what's the uh, the time period for when you can watch that on? Now on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Tune in radio. SportsRadio1270.com. And on the Fan's app. Your wife will never know. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. You say, Tim, what is CTBK? And I'd say, hey, moron, I've been saying it before and after every commercial break today and all previous days. But in case you're dense, CTBK is Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner, and they're CPAs and business consultants, all right? So call them up. For all your assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, acquisition, and merger needs. 716-630-2400. Who's dense now? Nobody should be dense now that you have this enlightenment. I just told all these people out there what to do for all of their accounting needs, all their business needs. You should all feel enlightened. Everybody should say, you know, like, normally I feel dense. But right now, I feel like I have a fertile mind. I better call 630-2400. Put this newfound brain power to work. You don't even need to put it to work. CTBK will put it to work for you. Right. They're the brain power. Just tell us what you need and we'll get it done. Facts. Jonah Bronstein, it's college basketball season. It's basketball season, not just college basketball season, of course. UB versus Damon, Syracuse versus Damon on this very show, on, or on this very station. Syracuse and Damon will be balling. Saturday night, 7 o'clock. Right here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. What's going on at Damon? We we haven't talked about Damon much. We had uh, Jim Weitzel on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we got into uh, UB and uh, the transition from Nate Oates to Jim Weitzel as the coach. I guess that was last week he was on, about the players and – what the expectations are of a team that has dominated the Mid-American Conference under the previous two head coaches. Jim Weitzel does have some pressure in that regard. But Damon is a fun program, nationally ranked, great success last season. Mike McDonald is a friend of the show. He's been in the studio before. And Damon has a couple of exhibition games that uh, will help college basketball fans in Western and Central New York learn about their programs too. A couple exhibitions. What do we know about Damon? Well, I haven't been over at a Damon practice 
yet where I've been at UB a few times. But I do know Damon is very good this year. They got a lot of the key players back from last season with that team that was in the national rankings and went to the NCAA Division II tournament first time in program history. They have some transfer additions, including one, Joey Wallace, is the son of former Syracuse player John Wallace. So that'll be kind of an interesting experience for him when he gets to play in the Dome Saturday night. And Damon could be, uh, you know, see how it plays out, even better than they were last season. Uh, Andrew Cisco, their starting center, is as good as just about any big man at that level and a lot of Division One conferences. I think in the MAC, Canisius Niagara, I think he could be a, one of the better centers in that league, maybe even mid-American conference level. Uh, Breon Harris, Jay Sarkis, two of their starting guards are very good. Like Damon is one of the best Division II programs in the country and on the rise. They brought in some transfers. They have guys coming back. They have Mike McDonald coaching them. I mean, they're about as good as it gets at that level. What I love about Jonah Bronstein talking basketball is you would think, all right, he's just reading this off his laptop, that he's got all his notes and whatever on, on a Division II team. And he's not. This is all off the top of his head. He knows who's coming back. He knows what the starting lineups are going to be. Whether it's UB, whether it's Niagara, Canisius, St. Bonaventure, Damon, Deuville. Yeah, um, I mean, Damon has a lot of locals. Madai. I pay attention to Damon and, and some of the Division three programs because they recruit ECC. the local high school players. So you know who these guys are. It's almost easier to keep tabs on a team like that than – uh, you know, I don't. I'm not sure I can name everybody on the Niagara roster. They brought in a lot of recruits. See, that now, I why'd don't know. you say that? <laughs> well, okay. well, it's also impressive because you don't just find this information. It's not like anybody could talk about the Bills off the top of their head because there's information coming out of every orifice of the internet. But if you want information on Damon basketball, you got to go show up. You know, you got to like actually know what's going on and watch the games. You can't easily find them on tv or anything like that it's you got to have boots on the ground you got to know what you're talking about you got to be talking shoe, to leather. shoe leather journalism right <laughs> you got to talk to people you got to know people speaking of niagara so i'm playing nba 2k 20 or whatever version it is now with my son last night and i always pick a legendary one of the legendary or all-time teams and he picks a scrub current team or you know to try to even it out and so yesterday I'm flipping through and I decide I'm going to go with the all-time Rockets. And my starting five is pretty impressive. It's got Hakeem Olajuwon at power forward because Yao Ming's the center. You know, James Harden and uh, Clyde Drexler. And I'm trying to think who my fifth was. Um Steve Moses Francis. Malone? No, he came off the bench, Moses Malone. But who comes off the bench is Calvin Murphy who on the game against his Phoenix this, Suns. This might be the first time Calvin Murphy's ever come off the bench, too. Right? So Calvin Murphy uh, is uh, up to everybody's waist on this game because he was a little guy, and uh, he faster than hell, and my son can't stop him. So I'm just running. I'm going coast to coast with Calvin Murphy pretty much every time. Ends up fouling him, and uh, Ernie, um, not Ernie Green, uh, Ernie uh, Grunfeld. Er, no, the uh, the announcer, the play-by-play. Oh, guy. Ernie Johnson. Ernie EJ. Johnson's the is the play-by-play guy on the game, and he says, at least I think he is. Maybe he's not. But anyway, whoever the play-by-play guy is, Calvin Murphy goes to the line, and he says, "Here's one of the all-time great free throw shooters. He goes weeks without missing." Clank. 
because the guy operating Calvin Murphy's no good. So I can't even make a free throw with Calvin Murphy. Anyway, Calvin Murphy held the NBA record for most free throws made in a row for 25 years, I think, something like that. Yeah, I tried to explain that to my son. He didn't care. He just liked uh, I missed the free throw. But I beat him. The all I was able to pull off a victory with the all-time Rockets against the current Phoenix Suns. Proud of that. How often do you win? I'm undefeated. Oh, well, maybe because of this you sli- need to he, change the rules. No, it's a challenge for him. He wants to be able to beat me with a bad team because he's he's good at it. Does he come close? He has come close, yes. I'm wondering if Matthew Fairburn, Buffalo Bills beat reporter, knows the Kelvin Murphy Bills connection. I don't. I'm not you know sure about I this, do. Tim? I don't know. I don't think I do. Well, when he was playing up at Niagara late 60s, he used to twirl the baton at halftime of the Bills games. Now, I've seen him twirl the baton, but I didn't know that he did that halftime. I've seen him do it at, oh, at yeah. games. And he's, I don't at know. basketball if, games. I don't know if this was what closed the deal, but he's indicated that was part of the recruiting pitch to get him to Niagara, that they could get him to do this at halftime because he was as good at baton as he was at basketball. And it was maybe a decision do I go to school for basketball or do I go to school for baton or is there a place I can do both? And that was something Niagara was able to arrange for him. I think it worked. The basketball thing worked out okay. To see him twirl the baton is uh, – you've seen the, those jazzercise videos of, of the men doing the, the – there are memes out of these guys doing – it's like a competition that used to be on ESPN of jazz dancing. Tosh.0 has brought him back for a like web redemption. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's, it's tough to watch. I think the Bills should bring Calvin Murphy back, twirl the baton at halftime. I think he'd do it if they can he schedule it. He should lead it. the charge with the baton. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> All right, when we come back from this break on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by C. Brought to you by CTBK. I haven't even been drinking. I can't seem to get through a, cup, a segment without a flub. I think it's my age kicking in. Can anybody, please, all three of you, vow to me that if you ever notice that I that I'm washed up, will you please tell me? Yeah, Tim, you're washed up. It's time to give somebody else a chance to do this job. We'll get you off. Whether it's the broadcasting or the writing. Tim, uh, you don't have it anymore. You're throwing nothing but change-ups. I promise. The Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK. Shampoo, Travis Bison, Kirshner, CPAs, and business consultants. We'll be right back after this with Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The Fan. I do have a good pimp. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Bison, Kirshner, CPAs, and business consultants here 
on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein and Matthew Fairburn. Also Bobby Rosati bringing in our callers. And uh, we have an important one now. As opposed, well, they're all important. <laughs> we wouldn't, we wouldn't book, we wouldn't book a guest if they, if he or she wasn't important. But with us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean. Brandon, thanks for coming on. No problem. I thought you didn't realize it was me when you said you had somebody important on there. <laughs> well, I thought it was Derek. Derek Boyko, your PR <laughs> exactly. guy. He's important. Very Boyko's without Boyko, none of us would be here. That's a fact. He was very kind to me today. He got helped me get several interviews that I needed. He was. Uh, he's dependable. He's a he's a worker. Yeah, he is. Brandon, your team is. Longer. What's this? I said so we'll keep him around for a little longer. I guess. All right, I like that. Brandon, your team's five and one. Um, I don't want to get into expectations with you because even if I were to ask you about that, I'm I'm quite sure that. Uh, uh, you would tell me that you expect to win every game, or else, uh, hey, every game uh, gets your best effort. Uh, but being five and one uh, is something that doesn't happen too often. How? All right, strange question, I guess. I guess how would you explain to the average fan uh, who has a their own feeling of five and one as someone who follows the team what it's like inside the building at five and one. You know our guys are hungry, and um, it's you know there no I don't see anybody you know whether it's the players, the coaches, uh, sports staff, whatever you know walking down the hall putting banners up or anything like that. It's been a, a humble and hungry approach uh, here, honestly, um, through the preseason, and really nothing's changed. I don't think if you were an outsider walking in and didn't know our record, I don't think you'd you would know it any different than you would a month ago, uh, to be honest, and and that's. You know, that's the way, you know, Sean does a great job of getting that message, you know, to our team. And, and I think, uh, you know, he and I relay that through our building, you know, to the support staff, scouts, and, and beyond. What should people make of the fact that your players, by and large, felt disappointed in their performance Sunday in a victory over the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, I mean, I mean like anything, there, there's, a, there's not a game that we've played – Honestly, that we've walked out of here and said, man, uh, we can move on to the next game. You know, we, we really checked all the boxes and clicked. And, um, you know, we've had some games that we've played better on one side of the ball than the other or something like that. But um, I think it says to the professionalism and how serious this, this group of guys is, is they're competitive. And, and um, you know, I was talking to, you know, our safeties coach, Bobby Babich, yesterday. Just He was telling me a couple things that, you know, Micah Hyde had called him Sunday night or texted him, I don't remember, and then Jordan Poirier, some of the things he saw, and just um, self, you know, self-reflection, self-critical stuff, just uh, things that maybe even the coaches hadn't even realized watching the film yet, things that these guys want to do, and, and um, I think that that permeates, you know, through the defense and even through the locker room. Brandon, how would you assess i guess the balance that you have to strike here with the trade deadline on the horizon of you know there's certainly an element of you know if you make a trade you're showing the guys that you're kind of going for it but i guess even if you don't make a trade you're you're showing them that you believe in the guys that are in the room so do you factor that in at all or do you have to kind of keep uh, a little bit of tunnel vision and just you know focus on what's best for the roster 
Yeah, I mean, you do. You you have to measure. All right, what player are you going to add, and what is their what are they going to bring to you know whatever position it is, and then what player are you going to replace, and and how does that affect? And this player, obviously, you you think skill wise they're probably a little bit better, but do they not have something that, that the guy that you would have to you know release or or send somewhere else in another trade have so. Um, you got the skill factor, Matt, which is a great question, um, but it's also the fit, and you know uh, how we are here with fit and, and culture. And uh, back to some of the things I said in free agency, you know, we like good players, but they also have to be good fits for how we do things for whatever system we're running, um, fit in the locker room, pros, all those things that we look for in guys. So um, all that is, is taken into account as we. You know, as, as you hear all these rumors out there, and and who's for who's up for trade and who's not, and you know, probably two thirds of the guys that are mentioned, you know, in the the, the media or the you know social media, um, I bet are really not for sale. It's just people hypothesizing based on a team's record or a guy going into his last year. Brandon, can you take us into how a trade happens, meaning at the very beginning of it, because I think fans wonder. Who makes the first call? Uh, is uh, is a fax sent out uh, to everyone? Uh, all right, I'm dating myself. Matt just looked at me funny for saying the word fax. Uh, is an email sent out to everyone? Um, are holograms uh, sent out to everyone um, that says, this player is available, give us your best offer? Uh, is it calling on a guy who, and you really are blind in terms of whether this player is available or not? Do you have to talk another general manager into making a player available, saying, hey, look, uh, you're not going anywhere this year. Uh, give us this guy. Um, or do you take the I – mean, how does it – how do they happen? It happens all different ways. Uh, hold on, my fax is going off here. Let me, <laughs> let me accept this. It's kind of loud. <laughs> uh, um, in all seriousness, it's uh, it can come from different ways. Um you know, sometimes you'll have a team that has given an agent permission to, hey, you can check around, don't put it out in public. Um, you can't call anybody in our division or you can't call anybody that's on our remaining schedule. You know, you can put parameters. So sometimes an agent might connect with you. Um, most of the time I would say the team's going to call. And, and if, I have, if I'm close with the GM, that's probably how it's going to happen. Sometimes... You know, somebody's close to a Joe Shane or a Dan Morgan or Malik Boyd, you know, one of our top, you know, personnel guys, and they may shoot him a text, hey, would you guys have any interest in this player? Or are you guys looking, sometimes it starts as, um, are you, we're heavy at, you know, whatever, you know, we're heavy at defensive tackle. Um, Do you guys have a need there? And then vice versa, we're looking for offensive line help. Would you guys, uh, be willing to part with one of those. So it, it happens in various forms like that. And if it gets serious, if it started, you know, with one of the other guys and not, you know, me directly to the GM, then uh, if it's serious on their end or our end, then I'm going to, you know, we'll get on the phone with each other and talk through parameters if, if, if both of us are serious about potentially making that move. Okay, now on the next step, once a tentative deal, or at least you get to a place where you're thinking, okay, this is something that could work. This is acceptable. Um, you figure out what you want to do on our end. We'll see if we're totally okay with it on our end. We'll you know run everything through our our computers and check check contracts and everything. Is it considered bad form, or is it expected 
that the other team is going to then use your offer to try to find a better offer? Well, I think it's how you leave it. It's if you agree on a deal, like a team may say, "Hey, uh, we're you know we'll do it for a fourth round pick," and maybe you're you're at a fifth right now. If you're still not offering what they're you know what they're saying it would take, then obviously they may not have anything at that point. They may be asking for a fourth, and maybe the fifth that you said, "Hey, I'll give you a fifth, then maybe they now say, "Well, I'm not doing it for a fifth." But maybe there's another team that's interested to say, listen, I'm going to do this for a fifth uh, probably in the next couple of hours if you don't make a move. And maybe they haven't told me that, but they're telling that other team, hoping that that other team is, you know, if you're the seller, then you're hoping that you got more than one team of interest because it gives you a little leverage. Uh, if you really are trying to move a guy and you're just trying to find a home and it's more, uh, it's, it's as beneficial to you as it is them, you don't have a lot of leverage, and, and you're probably not going to have many many interested parties. So, But once you agree verbally on the phone, all right, we met that team's demand of a fourth-round pick, or they said they would take our fifth, then at that point we agree either their uh, contract guy or our contract guy is going to write up the language. There's an actual trade agreement, and then they'll send that to each other. I'll review it. Their GM will review it. And once we've all reviewed it and agreed on the terms of this trade, which in there is how quick the guy has to pass a physical. Sometimes you give them, if it's the West Coast, you'll give them more than 24 hours due to travel concerns. Because if they don't pass a physical within that time, then the trade's null and void. So um, anything like that, conditional picks, if it's if it's going to start as a fifth, but if the team makes the playoffs, it goes to the fourth. Like that was in our Marcel Darius trade was if Jacksonville – Made the playoffs and and he was on their roster, you know, on their 53. The rest of the year, it became it went from a sixth to a fifth. So um, we have to agree on all that. Once that's done, we both sign the document and then it's sent to the league and it's official. We're in conversation with Bills general manager Brandon Bean. Uh, Brandon, six days before the trade deadline, are you buyers or are you sellers? Um, you know, I wouldn't call us either one. I mean, we're. Again, I know it's a deadline, but we're we've constantly looked looked around for guys, um, and as well, people have called us on our guys. Um, I mean, we're definitely not shopping anybody. Um, but if someone calls and makes you just, they're you know they're desperate for a certain position that you have some depth at, and they make you an offer that's just wow, then you have to listen. Um, and uh, I don't expect that, but. Yeah, I mean, I know last year we got calls on several guys, and and we didn't we didn't think any of them were what I would say wow offers uh, enough to pry them away from us. So, um, again, you know, I know a couple years ago when we traded for Kelvin uh, on the day of the deadline, um, I walked off the practice field, and I think I was just off the record talking to you know I know it was John Warow and, and maybe maybe Matt was there. I don't know if you were there or not, Tim, but just. They were like, you know, I was like, it was, you know, 1 or one thirty, whatever time practice ended. And I was like, no, I don't anticipate anything. Well, you know, Carolina called back, you know, around 2.30, 2.45 from a conversation. I think it was, you know, a couple of days earlier. And and we're more open to doing something at that point. So, we, again, I didn't anticipate it. I didn't call them. I, I thought we were done. So that can happen. I mean, I could go all the way up till next week at 3 o'clock and not expect anything in the phone ring and you get something together in the last hour. The Kelvin Benjamin trade is, uh, you know, an interesting one because it's probably the 
one of the only times we've seen you at the deadline kind of be in that, you know, buyer mode. Um, would you say now, I mean, at that point you were still gearing up, saving up picks to, to try to get a quarterback and, and knew that that was part of your long-term plan. Now that you're feeling probably more secure in your quarterback position, the rest of your roster's built up a little bit more. I know you love your draft picks. Are they any more available, um, you know, the premium ones, than maybe they were when you first got here, knowing that you're a little bit more uh, built up than you were when you got here? Yes and no. I mean, I still view them as currency, and, um, you know, I want to build this thing through the draft. So, you know, trading high picks, um, you got to know you're really getting something special, and, and what is that? And two, am I trading it for someone that I know I'm going to have here? You know, if you're trading a one or a two, am I knowing I'm going to either I've talked to the agent and we're going to have something in principle to be able to have them here long term? And know that it's a player that would be of that value. That I'm, you know, if I'm trading a first round pick, then I'm getting a guy that I think every bit as good or better than what I'm going to be able to select next April. You got to be careful, or my viewpoint is you got to be careful about, you know, trading for a guy that you're trading a high pick for and maybe it's just a short term rental. You only have him for the rest of the year. I mean, the one thing about the Kelvin deal was we knew. He was under contract the next year, and and you know the part of the logic behind it was if he walked out after that, if he had you know a good year in his fifth year option, that if we did not resign him, but he had a good year, then he could fall into the comp for him, and we could potentially get a third or a fourth back. So it was kind of like delaying that pick; it was barring that pick for a couple of years. But um, again, uh, you got to take everything into consideration, Matt. But uh, we do value picks here, and and. So when you're trading a player or for a player, you're basically trading away the rights of where, wherever round is a player for four to five, if it's first rounder, up to five years. Brandon, we're more than a third of the way into the season, and at five and one, you have us well a much better idea now of where your draft picks will be, uh, and they haven't been great in terms of the order in turn well i guess their currency is more valuable when you don't have a good record versus what you're trending to have this season how much does that influence whether or not you're going to trade your draft picks because they're going to be further back in the order than you're used to yeah i mean it uh you do i think it still tim goes to what round uh you're in you and you're right if you if you're if we continue the trend that we're on now you're right it would be you know, in the later part. So, uh, and teams are going to take that in consideration. You're you're always um, paying attention to who you're trading with and where you, where you see their record, whether it's you know whether it's now at the deadline or even earlier in the year by some of the the moves they've made, draft or free agency. But um, again, I think it's just the value. You you do have a value of those picks, and and you're right. You are projecting if you're trading with a team now where you see their their pick being, and I'm sure that's what people would be doing. When trading with us, and you know, a team that's asking for you know what I used earlier, a fourth round pick. Well, if they think we're going to finish well and uh, you know better than you know a better record than another team that has an option, they're going to send them to the other team. So we might would have to up the value and add something later if we want to win that trade. Brandon, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to circle back on real quick because I think it's important and probably overlooked. 
uh, by a lot of us, uh, whether we're casual observers, we're uh, passionate fans. But you mentioned a little of the inside baseball there about how trades go down. You mentioned Joe Shane, Malik Boyd, Dan Morgan. There's Lake Dawson, Brian Gain. All these people are on your staff. They've done the job or close to it, or they're on their way. A lot of people believe a guy like Dan Morgan will be a general manager eventually. Um, To have those connections where another team will reach out to guys like this is something that the Bills front office hasn't had since I've been covering them, uh, probably since I've lived here, maybe even before that. Maybe you have to go back to the Bill Poley and John Butler days. But can you? How important is it to have guys of that um, pedigree on your staff when it comes to this time of year, or real, really any time of year? But we're close to the trade deadline, so let's focus on that. Yeah, I mean, Tim, it, it is. It's a huge asset, and um, I, I feel lucky to have you know some of the names you mentioned. You know, uh, Brian Gain uh, to have a guy who's sat in this seat, uh, who worked for me before, just has a great feel for the league and has been, you know, he's worked under Bill Parcells and, and some other great people in this league. And, um, you know, Joe Shane worked with, with Bill when, when he took him to Miami and, and obviously Dan Morgan, uh, we drafted him Carolina and to see him do what he did and, and be on the Super Bowl team and John Schneider and that crew has done a great job. And, and, you know, Malik Boyd's, uh, you know, was hired by Bill Polian and then, um, worked with with Arizona you know they they played us in the NFC championship game and uh, also was on a Super Bowl team there so you know we got guys that that are experienced and um, have a great track record around the league and and great respect and they're a big part of what we're doing here Uh, it's not like I can get to all these schools or watch all these these players Uh, they do a great job of identifying the guys that that I need to focus on as we build this and and to have that rapport also helps in what you're talking about, Tim, with these, these connections around the league and guys trust them. That I think that's a big thing, having guys in your team that people trust. I mean, there's so many names that, that don't get out there that are available right now uh, or being mentioned as trade possibilities, and I think guys trust our guys that we're not going to leak anything, and we do the same. We, deal, we try and deal behind the scenes with people that we know won't put players out there that could compromise. If we don't move them, could compromise – you know, what we got going forward if a guy knows we had him on the market. With regards to that staff, too, you know, you mentioned something about, you know, when you trade for a guy, you want to know what you're bringing into your locker room, how that's going to affect, especially with a 5 and one team, you know, and the locker room being such a big part of what you guys do. Were you purposeful when you were building your staff about having, it's not just all guys that came from Carolina, you know, these guys have been in, a lot of different spots around the league. They're pretty well connected. And so if you're looking at trading for a guy from whatever team, San Fran, there might be a guy that's crossed paths and you can at least get an idea of the person that you're bringing in as opposed to if you're just flying blind, throwing a third-round pick out there for a guy who you don't know if he's going to fit at all. Yeah, really good. And that's that's exactly what I was hitting on earlier, Matt, was um, you know if we were to make a move for a player – um, you know, how is that going to mesh and making sure we're right on it because you're right, you bring in the wrong fit in the locker in the middle of the year, um, it could, you know, really be egg on your face. That doesn't mean you don't try things if, if, if it looks right, but uh, that is a big part of it. It goes back to free agency, too. When we're, you know, the college draft, we can sit here and meet with these guys and 
deal with them up to you know a week before the draft if we bring them in for a 30 visit. Obviously, we don't have that opportunity when trading for somebody or even signing in free agency. We're not allowed to talk to them until uh, until the free agency you know period starts in March. So uh, it definitely helps having all these connections. And, and if they haven't been with that player, generally they're going to know a coach. Uh, another scout, uh, maybe even another player on that team that that's been on one of their teams that they could call, and, and um, so that was a big part. I mean, honestly, when I tried to build this staff, it was uh, who who are the best, and we want the best of the best. Uh, I'm not looking to bring, you know, my friends from Carolina or, or other places. I'm looking to you know to the best guys for the best job, and um, we've made a few tweaks along the way. Some because guys have gotten promotion. Obviously, we got Dan here because. Uh, Brian Gain left and uh, you know brought Gain back and we lose Marvin Allen to uh, to Miami and uh, those are good things that happen um, unfortunately you know we've been able to, to land some guys that I'm very happy to have on staff and a uh, big part of what we're doing here. Bill's general manager Brandon Bean I can't thank you enough for joining us I know it's a busy time for you uh, any clues uh, that you want to give us for players that we should uh, be researching uh, to have those stories ready to go when when the trades are made yeah I mean I was thinking like um, I don't know Jerry Rice or somebody like that maybe well here, uh, well uh, fans are not going to be happy to hear that Brandon because you don't have to trade for him he's a free agent if you wanted well, they, him you don't have to give up assets they probably still somebody's got his rights probably I'd probably have to do something I mean, we got. I need somebody on offense older than Frank. I think the Cleveland Browns had uh, Jim Brown's rights into the '80s because uh, there's something with you know he retired with still years yeah. on his contract. They never actually formally retired him or fin- finalized it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think somebody, he's around. Somebody may have Jerry's rights. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate y'all having me on. Always, uh, always good to catch up with you. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. You got it. That was Brandon Bean, Bill's general manager on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. I really like that point about the assistance and all the the depth that is in that front office. And I do bring it up uh, as often as I can, especially as a way to compare how much different this front office is compared to previous Bill's front offices in terms of the culture, the fact that there are people in that building who know what they're doing there's that's always been in doubt at least for a generation of of the buffalo bills operations um and that was a a thing i really had never thought about regarding sending transmissions to the other team to say hey we're interested in this guy or hey would you be interested in this guy and knowing that it's not going to get out and get around because there's no there's no slappy factor involved And it's it's also interesting when you think about it's not this, you know, circle of guys that all have the same connections because that's the way it was a lot of the times in the past where it's, you know, incestual might be a strong word, but you have all the same connections because yeah. you've come up in the same tree. And, yeah, of course, Brandon's worked with a lot of these guys before, but Joe Shane and Brian Gain being in Miami, Dan Morgan being in Seattle, um, you know, these guys have kind of been – in different places they cross paths with different people and so it's almost probably hard to find a guy that they would trade for where they couldn't at least get on the phone and be like you think this guy would fit what we're doing or, or get an honest assessment on a guy as opposed to it's a much smaller circle and were that were those even things that guys were considering 
before, you know, that you talk about the LaShawn McCoy trade was made when they're out on a boat. Like, oh, LaShawn McCoy's available? Sure. We're into that. And and that was a good trade. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. But, you know, you're, Trades generally don't happen that the way. The risk factor goes way up when you're, you're like, oh, hell yeah, he's a good player, as opposed to being like, all right, he's a good player, but who are we bringing in? How does this change the dynamic of what we're doing? Much more calculated and um, methodical uh, approach being taken now. Yeah, impressive. All right, more Bills talk, more Sabres talk, more basketball talk, maybe a little more baseball talk. To come on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Come to the Tim Graham Show. Sports writer Tim Graham, who interviewed the Duggernaut. This is historic, Tim. Hey, let's not fake a newcomer. It's you come. Our friend Tim Graham. Hey, Tim. And you, Tim. The Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham, who's been ahead of everyone else. Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham here with Jonah Bronstein, Matt Fairburn, Bobby Rosati. You know, I was going to mention it to you, Bobby, that uh, lead-in that you do at the top of each hour. Yes. Right at the end is like a Mount Rushmore of people, like of sound bites. Yeah. It is uh, OJ, mm-hmm. Howard Stern. <laughs> Oh, who's the third? Gronk. Uh, Gronk, and Gronk. Gronk in the fourth. The the final leading off that four, Mike Rodak. Yeah, of course. You it need goes, yeah, Mike Rodak to OJ <laughs> to Gronk to Howard Stern. Yeah, Mike Rodak, New Testament. <laughs> Gronk talking about his junk. Yeah, junk. Yep. Howard Stern. With you. Which is perfect. And OJ's Twitter. Yeah. I love it. Who else? Who else could I get in there? Like who? I mean, tr- oh Trump! Oh, Trump in there! I can't believe I missed that. Trump's in that. He's in the montage. Oh is right, he, that's right. In, he yes. is in the montage. I was going to say, just I didn't not think I at the that. end. I like it the way it right. is. I like yeah. it the way it is. Rodak really needs good. a prominent it's spot. It's a good intro. <laughs> Almost as good as Joel Staniszewski's intro. Oh, yeah. Which is also really good. We're going to hear that in about 10 minutes. Joel Staniszewski is going to be on to talk about the Bills versus the Eagles and some other games. Does he get into hockey betting at all? No. Hockey is a terrible sport to bet on. Well, that's why I was curious. Yeah, it's awful. Let's just bet on the Sabres to win every game. Sabres are 8-1-1, worth 17 points, U.S., they're going to play the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden tomorrow night at 7 p.m. And uh, the 8-1-1 one, one record through the first 10 games is their best in franchise history. I'm sorry, second best in franchise history. They did it in 2009-10. Uh, it's hard to say that when you do a season that involves 0-9-10. 9-10? What is that? What do you say there? 2009, 2010. I got to say the whole thing. I can't just say 06, 07. No, because there's no O there. It it doesn't have any flow to it. So, anyway, 2009, 2010, they did that. They also did it in 75, 76. Best start ever 
10 and 0 in 06 07 the year that they went on to win the president's trophy my final year covering the sabers that was a fun team to cover what a flame out though that was a disappointing that was a dud of an ending to that to that team because they got dominated in the Eastern Conference final by the Ottawa Senators unlike the year before and you know I wrote about it I did the oral history of the end of the 0506 season which Lindy Ruff himself agrees is the best team of uh, that he ever coached and that includes the 98-99 team that went to the Stanley Cup final because that was Hashik and a bunch of guys whereas the 0506 Sabers was a full team they could do it all they had a great goaltender and they had great scorers and pretty impressive defensemen but here they are off to an 8-1 and 1 start i'm waiting to see when the uh, when they fall back to earth but ralph kruger seems to be doing a pretty good job of getting these guys going every night there, there's no uh no passengers on this plane it's everybody's everybody's active yeah he seems quite smart doesn't he? I mean, not only is he getting guys to buy in and things like that, but he's he's got some smart ideas. He's limiting morning skates. Did you see that big quote from him today on uh and how do you pronounce Greg Wis Wisniewski, the ESPN hockey guy? Yeah. Um they were talking about morning skates and him talking about how you use your energy throughout the day and what he learned in the Premier League. Just clearly bringing some different ideas to the table, and that might be part of what's getting guys to buy in. Well, it's, morning skates are uh, a gambit anyway. It was done by coaches to stop the guys from getting loaded the night before or too loaded, and if you did get drunk, you're going to skate it out of your system 10 o'clock the next morning. I mean, they do go way too hard, and that's why that's how morning skates began. It's not like baseball, basketball. Yes, there's a morning shoot-around. But it's it the is. same concept of basketball, and they've gotten away from doing as many morning shoot-arounds as they used yeah. to do. Batting practice. You know, they're not, yeah, they're not nearly as strenuous as they used to be. Still, a nice reprieve. Perhaps that's why they're doing so well. The boys are going out, getting loaded, and bonding together. <laughs> that's right. There's some camaraderie. <laughs> Sleeping. That, that's the big thing. You get more sleep and more and more science and studies have shown that that's more important than being sober i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well if you have until 4 p.m to sleep it off that should be all right sleep's important maybe that was the key maybe i think this team is going to hang around i don't know if they're gonna i don't know that you can keep up this type of pace but if they continue we've talked about it before Hockey can be such an effort game and such a – if there's buy-in and there's effort night in and night out, then you're going to have a chance to win a good amount of hockey games. And eight teams make the playoffs in each conference. It shouldn't be that hard to make the playoffs, not as hard as they've made it seem in the last decade or so. But the way this team's playing, they're they're playing faster, which they don't have a tremendous amount of – new speed that they've brought in. There's pieces here and there, but... They're more aggressive. You play faster and more aggressive when you're bought in and when you're confident in what you're doing. And They're when you, forechecking. When you've got the the passion and the want to, to do it. I mean, they didn't bring in a whole new roster of players. A lot of people complained about that. They just have these guys playing a little bit with a little bit more of an edge. 
And the talk of trading Rasmus Ristolainen has kind of faded, and rightfully so, because now it doesn't seem like you need to trade the guy. You're not a seller. When you're 8-1-1, one, and one, you're not a seller. Um, you might not be a buyer either, but Rasmus Ristolainen might be actually figuring out that this isn't the worst place to be now that we're winning and now that he's seeing fans actually filling the seats and getting into the games and they're not getting booed off the ice on a nightly basis. Um and that's not, I'm not blaming the fans. I mean, they've put a very poor product on the ice, but everybody's fortunes turn around or everybody's outlook when you're winning. And so everybody's getting a glimpse of what this can be. And that's why it's so important that they got off to this fast start. Um, probably way more than it is putting together a nice stretch in January. You know, they're feeling it right now of like, oh, and this could, this could carry them for a little bit. Of course, their power play is really buoying the uh, the team. Thirty one percent, they're converting, which is absurd and can't be man- maintained. But um, Victor Olofsson has been a, an amazing weapon on the power play, and it seems like they have good schemes uh, to get the puck in and keep it in. And uh, puck possession has been impressive. So, um, no, they've been fun to watch. Totally different team, and I'm the first one to say that I was. Wrong, because I didn't think that a change of coach could make this much difference. And uh, Ralph Kruger is proving that he's uh, unusual in that regard, at least through 10 games. You know, Ralph Kruger's voice, though, reminds me of uh, maybe Bobby can pull it up. We'll play it in the next segment. Uh, The stereotypical Canadian voice from the family guy. There's a guy that they do. And he's always talking about trying to score with his girlfriend, but she says, no way. As if Ralph Kruger sounds like that to me. We'll pull that. We, I know Bobby's got to find it. Do you have it there? Do you want, do we need to? I, I got to censor it, but I'll have it when we come back. Okay. You know what else we're going to have when we come back? Oh, wait, before we hit to the break, Jonah, you have some other UB nuggets we want to discuss. We didn't get to. Um, yeah, well, we regarding got to, the football team, we got to talking about the UB Damon. Well, with the basketball, oh, basketball is actually more of a. That's today, right? It just well, happened today. They found out today. Texas Tech transfer Josh Mabala, six seven forward center, uh, got his NCAA waiver to be eligible to play right away. That had been dragging out for a few months. How so. significant is that? It's significant. It gives him another body inside, and he looks like he could be a good player. He didn't play a whole lot at Texas Tech, but he's a big, athletic on the practice court really does look like maybe their most talented big man. I don't think he'll start at center right away. It'll be interesting to see where he fits in, where he gets his minutes, and how much he plays. But he could be, by the end of the season, the guy that's filling in that center position for Nick Perkins, who graduated. They have another transfer, Laquil Hardnett from Cincinnati. He won't play tomorrow against Damon. He's got a hamstring injury, but he's also in that mix to help them fill out what they lost in the front court. And on the football team, there's of course it was news yesterday that Matt Myers is done for the season. Yeah, the neck injury that's kept him out of the last two games. Lance Leipold announced on Tuesday yesterday that it's season-ending. Matt Myers won't play again for the rest of the season, which is a little bit surprising in a way. I had heard that it was a long-term injury and he might be out a while about a week and a half ago. Then last week he starts throwing a bit in practice. He traveled with them to the game at Akron on Saturday so it seemed like he was progressing towards a possible return. So I don't know if there was a setback or just a re-diagnosis of the injury, but he's not going to play again this season and be interesting to see if when he plays again. So one UB story you don't have to watch anymore and one story that bears watching henceforth. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see where this is going with UB. Kyle Van Treese is now the starting quarterback, but they have a young true freshman in Trevor Basinski, who's I've heard been very good in practice. He's a bigger, stronger-armed quarterback, so maybe by the end of the season I think you could see him starting a game or two. All right, when we come back, Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show, now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. By the way, you can watch me be having stuff up my sleeve on Periscope. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Because he's been there every day, you can trust what he says. He's not just pulling stuff out of his room. This is... I mean, not Bill's takes, anyway. The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, Sports Radio 1270. The Fan is the station. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic, here with Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic. That makes us co-workers. Teammates. Jonah Bronstein has disappeared. (laughs) He left the studio and has not returned. But he's still operating the Periscope. I think he might, yes. That's right. You can watch the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, on Periscope. We tweet out a link to that. You can see all the previous Tim Graham shows if you prefer a video, or you can check it out on iTunes or in SoundCloud. If you're listening to the show in the car right now and you're thinking, hey, I missed part of Brandon Bean, I didn't hear Susan Milligan, the Kenmore East grad who is the politics reporter for U.S. News and World Report, talking about the intermeshing of baseball and politics to try to bring D.C together at least on some topic you can check out the podcast you can check out the periscope Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs there was something we were going to get into was there something we were going to right before we bring in Joel Staniszewski I don't remember anything significant. Oh, the um, oh well, the, two things, two things actually. What Ralph Kruger sounds like what Ralph Kruger sounds right. like uh, via the Family Guy, but also that song you were bringing me back in with Bobby. If you could recue the beginning of that, now that is uh, who is that? Um, Deep Purple. Deep Purple. But doesn't it? Isn't this a, almost the theme to People's Court? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Hang on. It's like heavy metal people's court. <laughs> Bobby's bringing up. Now that's like the, the. Oh, here we go. Yeah, this. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, now see if I have an ear. See if I'm two for two on having an ear for one thing that sounds like another thing. Here is the Family Guy Canadian dude, uh, and whether or not he sounds like Ralph Kruger. Schools are even worse. 
Well, well, look who matriculated to grade 9. Someone wants to get into university. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm sorry. Well, you're going to be sorry when we put you in the hospital for free, eh? No, that's not it. Not a good that's one? not on. the guy. Hold on. There's a few on here. Hold on. And it's, he also ends the, he always ends the right. line by saying, and she, sa- she says no way, because he's trying to score with his girlfriend, but she keeps telling him no way. So it's not the yeah, AAA guy? Yeah, we're trying to the North Pole. I don't suppose Maybe. you're from AAA, are you? Ooh? AAA, you know? A-A-A. Oh, A-A-A. Hey, I just came from A-A. No, not A-A. A-A-A. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. A-A-A. Oh, so you are with AAA. Oh, no, that's A-A-A. I just came from A-A-A. Huh? Stewie, I think he's just a drunk. Not quite. Well, drunk or not, not quite. We'll have to try to find it. I don't want to cut into Joel Staniszewski's time anymore. <laughs> Let's get him in here. <laughs> oh. From Buffalo to Las Vegas, Joel Staniszewski. The Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city of it. It's more like a royal flash. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is Joel Staniszewski, our gambling analyst. He's from Sloan. He's from Buff State. And he's based in Vegas now where he has been a handicapper, odds maker, and industry analyst. Joel, we missed you last week because you were flying home. I was. I was. I was on a plane sitting next to a woman who was freaking out ten times worse than I ever freak out on an airplane. And it was making me extremely uncomfortable. Did you have turbulence coming into Buffalo, Niagara International Airport? Somewhere in like the Chicago-ish area, flying over, it was uh, extremely bumpy, and it was uh, not a very pleasant experience as a whole. Well, glad you made it here safely and back to Las Vegas. I assume you're back in Vegas. You're not still in Western New York. No, I'm I'm back in in Las Vegas. Okay, because that would make your bump, uh, in, your introduction, fraudulent. Because we say yeah, you're calling would. from Vegas. Can, can, can we go back for one second to the People's Court? Have any of you seen the video? of the guy on people's court who kept saying D D hit him. I didn't hit him. D hit him. He kept saying that. No, so they could ask him who D was so he could say D's nuts. No, it was inc- <laughs> it's incredible. <There's> no way. <laughs> All right, Bobby, that's your mission to find this. Well, before we're done with Joel Staniszewski, we're, we're forgetting the Canadian guy from family, family guy. All right. So, uh, Joel, your thoughts on your five and one Buffalo Bills, and uh, hey, they did not cover against the Dolphins. They made things uh, interesting, uh, probably f- a little too interesting for your uh, for your preference. But now the Bills uh, one and a half point favorite against Philadelphia. Yeah, the Bills. I-, I thought last week was too big of a point spread for a team that doesn't score a lot of points. Um, their defense did give up some points and some yards. Uh, at the end of the game, there was tons of yards that was garbage time, so you really can't take that all into effect, as well as the last touchdown. And then I guess you could even say our last touchdown was, was a bit of garbage time. So you got to take a lot of those things into effect. Um, what, what people fail to realize when you look at comparing the Bills and Eagles 
is the Eagles week one were a 10-point favorite against Washington, and they only won by five points. Uh, they've lost to Atlanta. They've lost to Detroit. Uh, and then most recently to Minnesota and, and Dallas. Uh, the, the line came out at like one and a half. It went down to one. It went up to two, two and a half. It's, it's just kind of fluttering around uh, the one and a half to two range right now, uh, which I think is a great number for, for Buffalo. Uh, the, what scares me about this game is that Philadelphia still is a good team with a lot of talent. Right now, the Bills are an 11-5 and five team. The Eagles are an 8-8 eight eight team. Uh, and these are the games that we play down to our opponents like we kind of did against Miami. So we really need to, again, I've said this all, every game this year, that they need to play a full four-quarter game. And when we see that, then we'll start being a little more confident in these games. But as a small favorite, I think that's uh, uh, a little bit too small of a line. It should be a touch more. Uh, but I think it's, it's the popularity of the teams that keeps that spread down. Joel, Tim and I were talking about this in the tunnel of New Era Field last week after the Bills returned that onside kick. I thought for a second my story was going to be if they got another touchdown that it was had would have been one of the most improbable covers of all time. Where would it have yeah, stacked up for it, you if they, if they had pulled that off? Because it looked it, like for it would a while, have been enormous. Yeah, it yeah. would have been ridiculous. There was a point where somebody fumbled near the end of the game that we could have picked up and brought and took it, taken it back for a touchdown. Uh, if we would have gotten a onside kick return touchdown followed by some type of defensive touchdown to cover at 16 and a half to get that 17 would have been insane would have been for betting standpoints you know it, up in the world of the patriots against the falcons in the super bowl coming back and and just uh, when you look at that game when you looked at that game the super bowl game in running what the numbers were what you could bet uh, on the on the patriots the the bills coming back um as a, I believe they were a, a small, a super small favorite when the when the when the Dolphins were up in running, they were like a one and a half, two and a half point favorite. Uh, so for them to come back and cover that in running number, and then if they could have come back and covered that sixteen and a half, would have been incredible. Well, Micah Hyde shouldn't even have returned that for a touchdown. He should have gone down. The coaching point would have been to go down, and so maybe he. Maybe he had some side action. Who knows? On, uh... <laughs> oh, that's a that's a vicious allegation. And not an allegation. But it was when he returned that. I turned to Tim. I was like, he shouldn't even have done that. And they were they were yelling on the broadcast about it. And right, yeah, he wanted that touchdown. It, and and there, there were did. probably a lot of betters out there thinking, ooh, they might they might make this happen. Yeah, I, I would agree with that statement. All right, Joel. Before we let you go, let's hear uh, people's court. Uh, well, it's good to see you alive. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this guy was on something. Maybe D hit him. Who knows? He was calling you the suspect in the court. You see? You know, I don't. I don't know. You like I said, D D hit him. So it wasn't me. Maybe. What's D? D's nuts. He's this guy's crazy. D what? Huh? <laughs> D's nuts. Bobby? That's people's court. Who's the judge? Well, it, that was in the interview afterward. Oh, so it was the oh, guy so interviewing Doug him. Doug Llewellyn's <laughs> asking him. <laughs> Doug. 
<laughs> and he just pulls the microphone away at the end. <laughs> See, now the show's not live. They didn't have to include no, that, but absolutely. they chose to cl- they chose to include it. I guess they knew it was yeah, viral. It's great. It's oh, not like geez. they had to cut away from it. Joel, you've added to this show in more ways than one. You're a gem. Hey. Uh, you uh, and we missed you last week, but you come in with picks and well, and. Just to read between the lines, you said you like the number two, so you think it's yeah. uh, you should take Bills and lay the points. Yeah, last last snippet. The Eagles are one ten and one against the spread. Their last twelve games when they play the early game, they don't do well in the early games. Okay, they don't score. So we need to do that. We need to take care of business. What happens if Bills if the Bills start D? <laughs> Joel, thanks for joining us. Take care, guys. All right, our thanks not only to Joel Staniszewski for joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Also joining us on that hotline today, sponsored by NCCC, Susan Milligan, senior politics reporter for U.S. News and World Report. She's from Kenmore East and uh, did a great uh, job of telling us what the, the uh, climate is like uh, in D.C. right now from a political and sports standpoint. Brandon Bean, Bill's general manager. My thanks to Jonah Bronstein, to Matthew Fairburn, and of course, we had him hopping today. We'll get the Canadian guy for you next week. We'll do a Ralph Kruger side-by-side. We'll see what we can come up with. Bobby Rosati, Diddle in the Knobs. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Beeson, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Twitter at 1270 The Fan. I wasn't supposed to put beef in the trifle. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Podcast available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, and SportsRadio 1270.com. That's a lot of information to get in 30 seconds. Sports Radio 1270. The Tim Graham Show. The Fan.